Hello and welcome to Music and Casts, a podcast series discussing topics in and around the field of music education. Today I have with me Ryan Stowell. Ryan is the K-8 Assistant Principal at Lakeview Local Schools and has had a variety of administrative experiences as a principal and assistant principal throughout Ohio, following 11 years in the classroom as a music educator. In this episode, Ryan and I will be discussing administration on various levels, with some insight into the move to administration for those teachers considering taking that step. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Good to be with you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. I just want to talk about administration. I know that's something that a lot of educators think about, you know, taking that step up as they're looking to progress in the in their professional careers. And I know um, quite a few of my music educator friends who's a, who have taken that step up. So I just want to talk about that a little. I know that administration can be dealt with on a lot of varieties. I mean, especially as a music educator, we, we do a lot of administrative stuff in our classroom and with our programs. Maybe you're looking at being the chair of a department, whether it's the music department or an arts department or whatever. And then, of course, you've got your principals, assistant principals, and superintendent. So I just wanted to talk about some of those things. And I know you've got a lot of experience with administration, so I thought you were a great person to have on here and talk about it, especially from the perspective of a music educator moving up into that role. Well, I, I agree. I, I definitely have some friends uh, who started in music and uh, have moved into administration uh, as well, as, especially it seems like a pretty natural transition for folks who are high school band directors. You know, they kind of run that organization and they, you know, they do recruiting. They might even hire some summer and marching band staff and they, they kind of run a, a, a kind of microcosm of the school. And so sometimes they'll move into maybe first an assistant principal role and then onto a head principal role. I took a little different path. I, I did a couple of years initially in my career of uh, middle and high school band and choir. And then my fourth year, uh, my district kind of reorganized and uh, they added choir to my high school and when my piano skills weren't terribly uh, strong, my vocal skills weren't the best. So I opted to go to a K-4 elementary position at that time. And when I did that, I found a lot of my students were not able to read very well when I would put up even very simple song lyrics on my, my projector, my smart board. So I became concerned about that. And started teaching reading in our after-school and summer intervention programs. I think it would have been difficult in the elementary realm to move straight from music to uh, administration just because there's there's such a stronger presence and in instructional leadership in, in the elementary school level. So I, um, I didn't get my reading degree, master's in reading, to go into administration, but I think it definitely helped my transition uh, it, it helped me connect more with my colleagues who were teaching in the elementary classrooms uh, once I had that reading background. And so I, I did that for a few years, started running our uh, intervention programs, our, our title program. I started kind of coordinating that, did that for a few years. And then I always kind of had some interest in administration, but thought it would be more of a early mid 40s transition. Uh, I actually ended up having a, an interesting move into uh, administration. My principal did a retire rehire in our elementary school, and there's a period of time after you retire, you can't work uh, for 60 days after that. So I served as acting principal that fall, then he came back, and then our middle school principal just quit uh, like in mid-April. She just just left. Uh, so I was then the interim middle school principal for the for the end of that year from about mid-April through June. So I had a, a very abrupt entry at age 33 
that I kind of came into it. And then that fall, they hired me to be an assistant principal there. So it happened sooner than I planned. But I, I do think for me in elementary, I, I needed to move out of just music and into the, you know, the kind of the core academics. Because I think if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would have been very well respected by those teachers who, who you know, this. I mean, most of your teachers in an elementary school or any school, they're they're teaching the core four subjects, so you you have to be able to connect with them. Definitely, and that's one thing I wanted to look at too. Uh, kind of a side joke there. I remember you, know, you and I have known each other for a few years, and sure. uh, I remember years ago you talking about even before you, I think, ever left your undergraduate, talking about someday you might look into administration because you know we're looking at doing that that high school band program. And I remember you saying, "I ah, didn't know if I want to be going to those Friday night football games." You know, the older <laughs> I get, you know, trying to raise a family and things, and that you know, doing all those things that uh, being that busy high school band director uh, entails. So. Um, I kind of all I've always seen you kind of taking that path of administration, not just because of that, but just of some of your leadership roles and the administrative things I saw you do. Um, well, even when I, you and I were back down at OU, you know, I mean, I mean, you were a leader in organizations and I was too. I mean, I just always was drawn to, I, I think the fun thing and the exciting about leadership is whatever it is, whether it's a, you know, um, MNC chapter, or I think it's called NAFME now, um, or, you know, the, the, the music fraternity we were in. But just trying to take an organization where it's at and try to gather everybody's ideas and skills and talents and put them to work to make that organization a little better. And I think I've liked doing that from undergrad all the way through wherever I've been. So I think that's what draws me to it. And, you know, you, and I did the same thing when I when I did teach high school band. You know, I tried to get the band new uniforms, you know, improve the instrument inventory, just whatever it, whatever organization you're working with, just trying to make it a little better than it was when you got there. Yeah, definitely. And I, same thing, you know, running a, a full, basically the six through 12 band program, you know, running around doing it all. And, and I, I remember talking to my superintendent at the time, I, I think I was actually interviewing him for an administrative class. Like we had a part of my grad school studies at the time were had to interview somebody in administration and talk to them about administration. And so I got my superintendent to sit down and talk to me. And somewhere in the middle of the interview, he was like, have you ever thought about going into administration? He's like, I think you would do a great job with it. He's like, you do all these things with the band program. He's like, you kind of already have all those skills and you're already doing all these administrative type things. I think at the time I just kind of laughed and I was like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm, I love being in the classroom and, and whatnot. I wanted to talk about what do you think, what are some of the reasons for making the move to administration? I think it depends what kind of person you are. You know, my wife teaches elementary music. Uh, she will teach until the day they drag her out of that school. She just loves her. Uh, she's uh, She's in a district that's a it's large geographically but doesn't serve a ton of kids um so she has three elementary schools in that district where she teaches elementary music you know loves doing her christmas programs loves doing her uh recorder concerts that's just extremely happy with that i loved doing that too i I spent uh you know like say that fourth year through year 11 doing that i started to wonder if i wanted to do that uh forever um the same programs uh, year after year so i was ready to do something different and within music, my options were basically go back to middle and high school band and choir or, or elementary music. There weren't too many different choices. I could say I did get into that reading world for a little while. Really, to make a, a big career change, it was I was going to have to administration was open, open a lot of doors. You know, you could uh, become an assistant principal. You could go work at a, like a county level, or you could maybe be like a fine arts supervisor. You could you know move up to be a principal, eventually superintendent. 
uh, go to uh, County Educational Service Center. It, it just, if you're a person who likes a new challenge every seven to 10 years, is kind of the first kind of person I tend to be. It lets you do that. You, you were going to be able to kind of do some different things over the course of your career. When I first went to it, it was just, um, it was that. I had also been in a district that just went through principals left and right. Um, I mean, we just, every two, three years, it seemed like we, we had one or two new principals in our K-8 building where I started. And I, I just started to feel like some of them were really good. And some of them I thought, wow, I mean, I, I don't know if I'll be the best principal, but I know I can be better <laughs> than this person uh, right. who maybe just kind of passed through. So what I started to see in that experience was just how much influence that person has. I mean, that's what's still leadership in any capacity, whether it is an athletic coach, whether it is, um, you know, just somebody leading an, an organization like we were just talking about, but how much impact that one person can have on dozens or hundreds or even thousands of other people. Uh, I, I see, I saw principals come in who united the staff and connected well with the parents and kids and, and those people got a lot done and, and really changed the whole atmosphere and, and made people believe things were possible that maybe previously they didn't think were possible. And I saw people come in and have the opposite effect. It divided the staff, were almost kind of oppressive in their leadership styles and just really didn't inspire anyone. I, I was just just amazed by that, you know, how, how much one person can change how everybody felt about coming to school. I think that was what drew me to it as well. That weighs heavily on my mind, you know, day in, day out. You know, if I'm having a bad day, I try not to really let everybody else know it because I feel like I, I need to be the one who's kind of positive. And especially this past year with the pandemic, you know, there were just all of us were going through such a challenging experience, just trying to make, you know, do the best we could. We're suddenly we're teaching remote and then we're teaching it. You know, we almost saw our kids every other day or for, we, we actually did an AM PM half day schedule in my elementary, just always trying to find creative solutions to whatever's coming at us and trying to build your people up around you that let them know they, they can do this. You know, it might be, it might be hard. It might be a sacrifice, but let them know it's worth it and they can definitely get it done. I think that's what I ultimately wanted to reach more kids than I could just reach in my music program. You know, I, I had I had the whole school and I so I, I got to see all the kids, but I think just to really have a better, a greater impact now, you know, I'm I'm in an assistant principal with twelve hundred kids and seventy teachers and I, I can I really have a pretty broad impact more so than I would just teach in music in an elementary school. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about preparation. I know that obviously comes, as you mentioned a little bit before, from a lot of different angles and sometimes unexpected. Uh, but if someone's looking into going to administration, what kind of uh, preparation does that require? As far as I'm aware, most places it seems to require some postgraduate education, some sort of other master's type degree or whatever. It does. The first thing I would say is if you already have your master's degree, uh, you can just go take your classes just to get a, your your principal license. You can just add on to your master's degree and do that, at least in Ohio. I'm talking strictly Ohio. If you don't have your master's degree yet, you have to get your master's degree, but then the state also requires a number of hours beyond that master's degree to obtain your principal license. So it's a it's a pretty lengthy process. I, I also think, you know, you in today's world, where testing and high-state testing are such a uh, a big part of our job as, as principals and curriculum directors, you you probably really need to find some avenue to get yourself acquainted with that world. That's one thing that kind of separates music from those other content areas is that we, so far, we don't have high stakes tests. We don't have, we don't have that kind of data coming at us. So you know, we have to find ways to kind of get involved in that, whether that's getting on your district's uh, district leadership team or your building leadership team, find a way to become a leader as a teacher first. You know, there's a lot of ways that you don't have to have a title. You don't have to be called a principal or an assistant principal. You can be a leader in your building as a teacher and do that first. From there, you know, find a program that fits your, fits your 
how you want to go about that, whether you think you want to do an on-campus program with a, at a nearby university or college. I actually had just had a young child. Uh, we had just uh, had our oldest daughter. So I did my degree completely online through the University of Cincinnati, and I'm up in Northeastern Ohio. But I, I, I liked Cincinnati because what they guaranteed was that they would never not offer a class, that as long as you were on track and you passed your classes, they would never cancel a class. So like, just think about some of those things that make sure it's a program that works with your schedule and that the university is committed to you as much as you are committed to them. Because I, my wife's doing her master's in music went to the university where if they weren't paying for the class, if the class wasn't paying for itself, it got canceled. It happened to her twice and set her back a year. So oh, wow. you don't want to be in that, in that kind of position. Get your degree done. Get your extra hours for your license. Study up. Take your licensing examination. That wasn't too bad, honestly. I, I studied up for it and did pretty well on the licensing test and grabbed your license. And then from there, I always say, unless you really need, you know, it's, it's a considerable race to go into administration. That shouldn't be anybody's motivation to go into it. Um, Cause uh, you'll, those are people you often see, they become an assistant principal principal and within three years, they're back in the classroom. I, I often wonder, were they looking at the dollar signs and not, not the, the reasons to go in it to affect other people's lives and make the school better. And, and, and that has to be what's driving you. The, the money's nice, but it won't keep you in it. Right. Wait for the right position. Don't just go to a school just to just to jump into it really quickly. Make sure it's a place that you're going to be a good fit. You know, it's a place that shares your values and shares your kind of vision for what, a, what an excellent school looks like. And then when you find that right spot, you know, you, you go ahead and make the jump. First year is tough. I'll tell you that in the first year, especially if you're <laughs> often the people who go into administration are often they were a really great teacher. You know, they were, you know, you were a top notch music teacher and you Maybe you've been doing it for 7, 10, 15 years. And now all of a sudden that first year as a, as a principal or an assistant principal, you're, you're having that first year experience all over again. And you feel like, you know, man, what did I leave? I was so, so good at what I was doing. And now I, I don't even know what I'm, how I'm going to approach things day to day. So I always tell people, don't, don't judge it on the first year. You know, if, if you have a rough first year, come back for the next year or two. If you still don't like it after three years, maybe the classroom is the place for you. But I think you have to give any any big change three years before you decide whether that's what you want to do. And that uh, that was when I started to feel comfortable after the third year. Yeah, I definitely agree with that aspect. You know, you talked about ways, you know, even before getting your degree or whatnot about being a leader in the school. I know one of the things that really helped me was getting involved with our local teacher union because that got me more familiar with not only uh, other teachers in my building at the high school level, but also those teachers that were at the elementary, the middle school. It kind of gave me a broader perspective of what my other teachers were thinking, what what they needed in their classrooms and their programs. And it kind of gave me that bigger worldview than just, you know, my high school music program. So that was one way to sort of get involved and kind of understand uh, how the school operated at large. I did the same thing. I actually, when I was a teacher in Campbell, my first uh, district, I never was like a vice president or president of the union, but I was on the negotiating team uh, for three cycles. I, I went to some of the regional meetings and uh, it was it was good. It was a good way to, like you say, broaden your horizon. It's so easy as a teacher to just kind of, you know, be in charge of your classroom and not music teachers, a lot of times we're in some far off wing of the building too, you know, <laughs> where, unless you really make an effort to go see your colleagues. I often didn't even eat, even eat in the teacher's lounge because it was so far away. So I would just, I had my own fridge and microwave in my office and that was where I ate my meals. So yeah, I would yeah, agree with you. That's a good way to connect with others. So I used to do that too. My, my first year or two, I would eat in my classroom. And then I told myself, you know, I, I've got to go down to the cafeteria. I'm going to go sit in the teacher's lounge and get to know my colleagues better. Because I felt like, like, like you said, we were kind of in this this wing off to the side. And you know, we didn't 
interact with our colleagues unless we made it a point to. So I, I, at least in my thing, my second year or so, I was like, I, I've got to start mingling with my colleagues more and kind of get a better feel for what the whole, uh, you know, what, what the whole high school was feeling. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really think about it. When a student taught, a student taught a gentleman who was near retirement and he always ate in the teacher's lounge. Like we, we, he always bought school lunch and he um, would kind of meander through the cafeteria, say hi to some kids, and then end up in the teacher's lounge. I, I never thought much about it, but, but now that you mention it, it, it is probably important to do that. Right. So, okay, so you've, you've made it. You, you've got that position. Let's say you're a principal or vice principal in the district. So what does that look like in terms of being different than the classroom teacher? It depends on your district and what they're asking of you. You know, I've, I've been an assistant principal in two districts and I was a head principal in between those two tenures as assistant principal in a small rural school. Um, in my first assistant principal position, I was in a school that was um, under kind of state guidance for low test scores. So I ran a lot of teacher-based team meetings. We were very focused on raising those test scores. I also did a lot of discipline. I, you know, you, you're, the biggest thing that changes is you're involved in everything to some extent or another. And, and a lot of times you're now, you're seeing most of your day, you are seeing problems that need solved, right? So you're, you're seeing students who are not meeting expectations, making poor choices. You're talking with parents who are unhappy with something that's happening with their, with their child. So you're, you're seeing a smaller portion of the school, but they often are ones who need a lot of time to have things addressed. Uh, we're in your classroom, usually you see everybody. So you've got a lot of kids who are doing the right things and a lot of kids who are excited to be there. And maybe you have a couple that are, you know, need a little guidance and need a, a little motivation. Moving to an administration that kind of flips on you. you. You spend most of your time with problems that need solved. The other thing is, it's just, you know, you, you see the whole school. So you have to prioritize what is the, the most important thing to address today and what can wait. You know, as a teacher, it's just whatever's in your classroom, that's what's right in front of you as a principal and assistant principal. Everyone who comes through your door, whatever they're bringing to you, that is the most important thing to them today. And you have to always remember that maybe for you, it's not. And, and, you're, and maybe you're not going to get to it today. And you, you have to really make sure that you're respectful to whatever it is, whether it seems like it should be a big deal or not. You have to remember to that teacher or to that parent or to that student, um, it's, it's a big deal in their world. And so you have to make sure you, you get to it all in a pretty timely manner. Um, that was my biggest challenge when I came out of the classroom and into administration. I thought I was a really great time manager as a classroom teacher. <laughs> and I had so much more growth to do there um, as an administrator. I, I really had to become a lot better about task lists and uh, calendar appointments and just making sure that I was doing things efficiently, you know, just making, making sure about how I spent time. I, for uh, in my first two principal jobs, I spent a lot of time going to work on Saturdays. Uh, about one Saturday a month, I would go work a good five, six hour a day. I always prioritize people over paperwork. So when I was there during the day, if, if a student needed a pep talk, if a teacher needed a class address, if, um, you know, I, I wanted to be out there during transitions in the hallways, I wanted to be out there at car rider pickup, I wanted to be in the cafeteria only had those six, seven hours during the day to make those relationships. I could do paperwork at night. I could do paperwork on a Saturday. So I, I spent a lot of extra time outside of hours to get that stuff done. And what's hard when you first become a principal is you don't know how to do that stuff. So it takes so long. You know, like I, I didn't know how to fill out these data reports or these requisitions or whatever. So they, they took me a while. 
you become more adept at that and you become more efficient. But again, it's, it's think back when you're first year teaching, you know, when you first started teaching your lesson plans took you hours to write good lesson plans. Now by year five and 10, you're, you're, you're breezing through those things. You have, you have a very you know effective process you've developed. So the same thing happens when you get into administration. I think that's where it, you know, it can be a little overwhelming at first, but you have to find ways to do that. Lean on some experienced people. I, I think the hardest jump for me was when I went from an assistant principal on a team of administrators. And then my first head principal job was much closer to my home where I lived. That was a big part of why I took it. But I was it. I mean, I'm in a K-6 building and I'm the principal. I had no guidance counselor, had no nurse. Um, I mean, it was it was just oh, wow. me. Yeah. And, and the decisions come at you so quickly. You know, people are coming in. They, they want to know, what do you want to do? When do you want to do testing? Um, you know, when do you want to have the Halloween party? When do you want to, I mean, you know, just, just, there's just so many decisions to make in a day. The best advice I received was from my superintendent in that second district who said, he said, there are very few decisions that need to be made right now. He said, you can't take forever, but he said, there are very few decisions that have to be made in the moment. And he said, you don't always make great decisions in the moment. And, and I really took that to heart. A lot of times I will tell people, give me a day on this. And if you don't hear back, stop and see me or send me an email. So if I don't forget, People, I have, in my experience, are actually incredibly respectful of the fact that as an administrator, you're very busy and they, they don't want to bother you. They don't want to you know, continually come see you. So I always try to remind them like, hey, if you don't hear by Wednesday, if it's Monday and they come and ask me a question, I don't have an answer. If you don't hear by Wednesday, stop by or send me an email. Uh, I don't want things to fall off my radar. People will come up through the hallway all the time, all the time. They just, you know, can I have, do you have a minute? You know, and they want to talk about something. Um, and, you know, you were on your way to go, you know, find three kids who you have referrals for. I've got a lot better about, I'll have the conversation with them and I'll say, hey, can you please send me an email and remind me about this? Because I'm going to talk to three kids between now and my office and five more people are going to stop me and I'm going to forget about what we talked about. And I'm, I'm, so uh, email it really has helped me manage my tasks and my time. But yeah, it's completely different. You know, I think sometimes people think even if you were, you know, run a band program, which you have an advantage, I think, over people who just came out of the just the regular classroom, because you know you've you've done fundraising, you've done trips, you've uh, you know taken your band to contests, you've like I said, maybe hired some staff for your summer program, you've done a lot of those things, but uh, it's just it's not on the scale of running a whole school, and so even I think even in that position, there's really I don't think there's anything you can really truly do to prepare for it. I do recommend if you have the opportunity to be an assistant principal first, as I did, because the jump even from two years of an assistant principal being a head principal was steeper than I had anticipated. Uh, I thought it was. I thought after I had run that summer program, I had run the you know the intervention programs, then I was an assistant principal, and I thought I was really ready to be a head principal. And uh, the first year, it's just a, it still just feels like a total blur that first year because, like I said, the decisions come so quickly, and they um, there's just the the amount of responsibility you feel too, the pressure you feel to do a great job for you know everybody, the kids, the staff, the parents, that first year or two, that takes some getting used to. So assistant principal is a good way to get into it. So you mentioned briefly in there in, in your talks, whether it was the referrals or, or dealing with discipline. And I wanted to ask your opinion on that. So obviously we've hopefully are all dealing with classroom management in our classrooms, but obviously is it seems like, you know, it seems like it always falls on the assistant principal, but I guess it just sort of depends on the building. But as the one task with handling discipline in, in the school or the district, how, what, what challenge did you find in that? Um, the challenge there is that what you didn't see as a classroom teacher is that Everyone has different expectations for their classrooms. And while one teacher can just kind of, you know, um, overlook, I don't say overlook, but will address with just a casual conversation, another teacher might think that that is, that is a referral to the office. You know, maybe in, in two classrooms, 
you know, a kid spills glue and it plays in it. You know, this, this is more of an elementary school. Um, you know, in, in one room, that teacher just gets a rag and says, hey, you need to clean that up because you made a mess. And in the other room, the teacher is saying, you know, go to the office, you just vandalize the desk. Um, you know, so I think establishing as the principal culture where we have some common expectations about how these things are going to be handled. That's really helpful. I have evolved, I guess, in my, you know, I've been doing this about seven, eight years now as a principal. I have come to believe that discipline and punishment by itself isn't going to get you anywhere. Uh, the district that I first started in, we were we were heavy into just just consequences and consequences and more more serious consequences. I, I still believe in consequences. I'm not somebody who thinks that we you know can't have we can just just talk kids out of of their behavior into better behavior. But I do think we have to teach the behavior we want to see, and that has to go in tandem with the consequence. Definitely, um, yeah. Yeah, it just you know if I just give a kid a detention, they don't understand why they're serving that detention, or they don't have any learning attached to making a better decision than they did to put themselves in detention, they're just going to do the same thing again and end up back in detention. So I, I've tried now to really model the behavior I want to see, teach the behavior that we want to see. I tell teachers often, and even some of my administrative colleagues, stop saying phrases like, would you do that at home? Because uh, you, the biggest eye-opening thing for me when I went from the classroom to administration was I, I had to start doing some home visits. Uh, one of my, my first district was a very poor district, 93, 94% free and reduced lunch. And one of my jobs was if we didn't get the signatures on an IEP, I had to take the school psychologist out and we had to go do these IEP meetings at the at parents' residence to get the signature so we didn't miss our timelines under under IDEA. I mean, you just you just saw some things in homes that, you know, this is not how I grew up, you know, and, and you can't judge, you know, I mean, these people are doing the best they can. Um, maybe they're, and they're not all, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes as educators. They'll say, oh, these are welfare people. And these, these a lot of times weren't, you know, they were just a single mom working at, at a dollar general or a family dollar making minimum wage. And this is what they can afford. But, you know, kids just, just didn't have a lot at home. Um, so when you say to a kid, you know, would you do that at home or, or, or something like that, your version of home and their version of home might be drastically different. So I have tried to really create PBIS programs where we teach very explicitly what is and is not acceptable. If you do a lot on the front end of it, and that takes a lot of work, you know, I would go when I was the head principal at Bristol, every classroom the first week, I was there late every night that week because I got nothing done. None of the work on my desk got done during the day that first week. But I went to every classroom and explained all the uh, expectations very clearly, hit the, you know, you're not going to read a 30 page handbook to kids, but hit the big parts of the handbook. Uh, made those very clear what the expectations were, what the consequences were, answered any questions they had. So that that first week of school, we were all on the same page, teachers, me, students. And I really think that investing on the front end on discipline just saves you so much uh, throughout the school year. All right. Let's talk a little bit about community involvement and, and some of this we've mentioned in passing and such, but it, it's definitely important for an administrator to be visible in the community, both the school community we've mentioned and the uh, the community at large. And I uh, just wanted some of your thoughts on that as far as being visible in the community or active in the community that you're working in. Yeah. And a lot of that depends on uh, what your situation is too. Like when I was 40 minutes away, I was less visible in the community than when I was closer to where I live. You know, here, uh, well, we'll start with when I was you know, 40 minutes away, you know, I had to um, make sure I got out there and went to the sporting events. I mean, you know, I, a lot of times I know as music teachers, we feel like we're, we don't get the same attention as sporting events, but it's just, that's just society. It is what it is. So you, you have to get out there, get to the football games, get to the basketball games. 
even beyond that, like one of the things that I did that really helped me build better relationships was in my first district, we had a federal housing project in our district. And I started going, they had a day they did free health screenings. And they asked me to come down on free health screening day. That meant so much to those people that I came down there and, and shook hands and, and passed out bottles of water um, on free health screening day. And it, it helped me so much to understand, you know, this is, uh, these folks can't afford to take their kids to the pediatrician. They can't take their kids to the dentist, like how important this free health screening was. They, they waited in line for two hours to, to, to bring their kids to this, this free health screening. And it was, it was good on both sides, what I learned that day and, and just them to see me there. So, you know, finding those kind of things in your community, uh, churches, you know, it, they, they, you know, church festivals, things like that. My first district was very cultural. We had we had a large Greek population, we had a large Puerto Rican population, and then we had some other smaller groups of people that had come from mostly European descent. But they, a lot of the churches had these ethnic festivals, going and seeing the Greek dancers do their performance, you know, going uh, to the to the Puerto Rican festival and, you know, and trying their food and, and, and hearing about their values. That just seemed to make it a lot easier than when I had to then call a parent, you know, and, you know, interview them. Oh, I remember you from the festival. Yes. You know, and then they could put a face with the name right away. I'm really fortunate now. I never imagined I would end up here, but I'm actually an administrator in the district where I live. So it's super easy now. I mean, I'm coaching soccer for my daughter and I see a bunch of parents and kids up at the park taking my daughter to dance practice and I see a bunch of parents and kids at dance practice. So I'm um, still make sure I go to football games and those things. But but living here where I work, it's very easy to be visible. It's a, the, the other side of that is then I can never get away from work either. You know, when sure. I go to the soccer field, I get questions about school and the calendar and when's picture day and, and, and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, but I think it's more good than bad. I, I think it, it, it's really important. And if you're, you know, I've had friends who are, their principal's an hour plus away from, you know, where they live. And I, I think that's difficult just because you now you have your own family. You, you only get one shot to raise your family. You know, you, you don't get another, you don't get a second shot at your daughter being four. So you, you can't neglect that. But at the same time, you're you're losing two hours in the car every day. You're still trying to be visible in that other community where you're, where you're working. So th- those are things you have to be mindful of. It's really important. I've seen a couple of people that flamed out in administration because I felt like they and their spouse didn't have an agreement when they went in. Like they, you know, your spouse has to be on board with this to understand, especially if you have young children, there's going to be some nights where you're not going to be home till eight. You know, there's going to be nights when you have to go back to school for a ball game and you won't be home till, you know, nine, nine thirty. You're, you're going to have you know, a band concerts that you're going to have to go and, and be present at. And you're, and you know, and I, I don't like to leave that stuff. You'll see some people that stand at the door and they, they, they shake hands with everybody. And then after the first song, they're, they're out of there. I, I don't think that bodes well for me the next day in the cafeteria when a kid asked me about their favorite song that was the second last one on the program. So, you know, I, I need to stay there and, and, and be present and be involved. That's really, that's really, truly very important that um, your family understands when you go into this too, that there's going to be some sacrifice. I think that's very too. important. Um, I know even as a very active high school band director, I dealt a lot with that, that like, you know, you have those long nights, whether we're talking the Friday night football games or the Saturday festivals and contests, you know, when you got to be involved and you're, especially in a small town where you're really involved in the community and stuff, uh, it's important to be on that same page and, and, and come to some agreements with your spouse. I know I witnessed some of that firsthand, so I, I truly understand that and that is important. So I've got to ask, so since our podcast here is about topics in music education, you know, as an administrator coming from the music department, how can you be an advocate for arts in the district? And I know, obviously, as the administrator, you're overseeing the whole district, and you have to take that into account. But sometimes people feel like the arts are neglected. And I know a lot of time money has a lot to do with that. But 
how how can an administrator be an advocate for the arts? Yeah, you're an advocate for all the kids and all the programs. You know, you you have to um you have to just keep it all in, in perspective. I think what's a little tough is no matter where you came from in administration, you worry a little bit about seeing as being partial toward where you came from. Whether if you were a coach, you know, are you being partial to the to the athletics? If you were, you know, a music teacher, you'd be impartial to the music department. I, I feel like, um, you know, if you can protect that budget, uh, if you can, you know, like you said, it, it often is financial. The middle district I was at, Bristol, where I was the head principal, a couple of years before I got there, their elementary music teacher had retired and they opted not to replace that position. That was really awkward for me. You know, this is what I, I had just spent 11 years as an elementary music teacher. Now here I was at a district that had no elementary music at all. The thing that I kept trying to power through was that there, the way that it was perceived by some of my superiors in the Board of Education was, we're not going to pay $60,000 a year for a Christmas concert, because that was what that person did. And this is why it's so important to just be visible as a music teacher. The person who had that job for 30 years, that was the only time they really saw a product was at Christmas time, the third and fourth years did a program. And outside of that, that's what that community and those board members and that superintendent and treasurer, that's what they perceived elementary music to be. You know, and I'm trying to say, whoa, it's almost more than that. There, there's there's connections between reading fluency and singing, and there's you know connections between um, you know higher test scores and, and and music study. And you know, I never did I was only there three years. I don't know if I've stayed long, if I could have broken through that. That was tough because they just had a very, very narrow idea of what that was. She, she didn't do recorders as a pre-band experience. She didn't do, um, you know, large programs with speaking parts. It was the kids all gathered on the gym floor, sang eight Christmas songs, and, and went home. That makes it easier to advocate if you if you if they're if the program is more visible. My right. wife recently, their district had to choose between cutting elementary art or elementary music, and she was spared. She she continued to uh, be employed and the art teacher was cut. And I said, I my wife does six programs a year, at least sometimes more. She records them. She um, makes DVDs of them. I said, you know, that gym is packed several nights a year because of you. And you, you are a big link between parents and, and kids. So I think the one thing that I can do in my position as administrator is encourage those teachers to be make sure their program is robust and visible so that when that budget time comes, man, that'd be a tough decision. Are we really going to not have 10 nights a year where we're packing this place with parents? Are we really going to not have that art show where we get, you know, not just parents, but grandparents and aunts and uncles and comes to see, um, you know, the art that was created here? Are we really going to cut the madrigals who put on this incredible show and have two sold out performances every spring? If your program is vibrant and visible, it's much harder to take that away from the community and the kids. If a program is dormant, and, and seen as not terribly valuable, it's not a hard decision. I mean, it just isn't. I mean, if, and it is, if then when you come try to defend your program, boy, you have a tough sell. You know, if, if no one sees what you're doing, you know, if you're, if you're not get yourself a Twitter page, get yourself a Facebook page for your band department and post gotta, what's happening there in between concerts. Got to sell yes, that product. Correct. And if it's, if it's visible and vibrant, we'll find you can find other ways like in my one district i was at this was around 0809 after the you know the big economic crisis they didn't want to cut anybody so what they did was they cut several people back to like three quarter time now i wouldn't want to be three quarters but i <laughs> right. think we'd all rather be three quarters than zero quarters we cut back middle school art we cut back um, even some regular teaching positions for a time and then all those things came back to full time 
But if one of those programs had been weak, you know, and one of those programs had been seen as just not a great experience for the kids anyway, whoever that was probably would have just gotten the axe. I mean, just honestly, it would have been easier. But uh, yeah, it's uh, just it's just encourage your, your people and being creative. Like my, my band people this spring, we're still doing indoor concerts. So I said to them, you know, there's an amphitheater in the next town over downtown. I said, we need to get that amphitheater and we need to have a concert this spring. Because if you don't have a concert this spring, I don't know how I'm going to help you in the fall when kids want to quit band. If they haven't played a concert in a year and a half and their parents are calling saying, my kid wants out of band because we, we basically mandate band uh, through eighth grade, uh, band or choir. But I said, if they haven't played in a year and a half, those parents haven't seen them on stage in a year and a half. That's going to be a tough sell. But I said, if we can find someplace, an outdoor venue, and, and we did, our seventh and eighth graders are going to do a... Uh, an outdoor concert. Uh, we're looking to get some, maybe some food trucks and come down. I think even just pushing them a little bit out of their comfort zone was important to say, I know you'd rather do it in the, comp- in the, in the, in the auditorium where you're comfortable. That's not going to happen right now. But guys, you've got to find a way because you have to be seen. That's what we do. We're performers. And if we're, if we're performers who aren't performing, it's tough to, you know, how do we really place value on what we're doing? Right. 100%. All right, so as we're wrapping things up, uh, any more thoughts from you uh, uh, the administration world for those that are you know considering going into it? Uh, you know, the, the one question um, you say you know, about missing the classroom, I think just just make sure that you've you know you've had your time. Like I said, I did it earlier than I thought I would, and my year, my last year was abruptly cut because that principal left in April. I thought I had a few more concerts before I was uh, going to be leaving, and I could have done a couple more years of teaching. You know, you're just remember that, like I said, once you leave classroom and you go to administration, you're, you're dealing with a, it's funny, you have ability to affect a large group of people and you're making policy decisions and budget decisions that affect a lot of large group of people. But man, a lot of your day is just spent with solving problems. You, you don't get to have the same experience as you do like when that, that first time when you're rehearsing a song, that, you know, that first time it really sounds pretty decent. You know, it, it goes from just being just like, man, it sounds nothing like the score to like it. Hey, we're getting there. You know, <laughs> um, you don't get too many of those kind of moments uh, as an as an administrator. It's things take longer. If you start a big initiative in your school, you know, you start a big PBIS initiative. You have like two or three years before you get that feeling of, okay, yeah, this is starting to, to take effect. So those 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 little things that are, you know, like daily occurrences in your classroom, those become fewer and far between, further between. You know, if you're working with a student who's, uh, you know, a, a student who's making a lot of bad choices, lacks motivation, uh, you're going to have a lot of rough days. And then finally, one day you'll say, okay, I think this one's starting to come around. But it, those are... Those, you celebrate those and hold on to those because they are not frequent in the administration world. So I think it might be my advice to just just know how big that paradigm shift is and make sure you're ready for that. Because generally, once you go to administration, you'll see some people go back, but usually people, you don't go back. You know, once you leave that, that's in your rear view mirror. It's, uh, that's your new reality going forward. All right. Well, Ryan, uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us here today. And good luck with the rest of the school year as you guys are wrapping things up this spring. Thanks, Matt. All right, thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of Music and Casts. We look forward to you joining us again in future episodes as we explore topics relevant to the field of music education. 